Hi, welcome to Cochrane Alliance Church and our online sermons. We are so glad you are able to join us. We pray that this sermon will be a blessing and an encouragement to you this week. Who is God? Who is God? The loaded question. God is a character in a book. God is an idea. 한번도 본 적은 없지만 그래도 신은 어딘가에 존재한다고 생각합니다. 그래서 우리가 지금 이렇게 어, 살고 있지 않을까요? 음. 복이슬람니에 God is nobody. God is anything we want he, she, it to be, I suppose. He's everywhere, or she, or it. There is a one God, but they have a lot of forms in all of their religions. For me, uh, according to my, my belief, Allah, the Creator, for Muslim people, but He is the same God for all of us actually. There is just one God, and although gods in our different religions like Jesus, uh, Ganesh Ji, Krishna Ji, they're just branches of him. We just like basically we have to see some image to we just need some image to create in our minds. Of course, in the end, that's in the Essas coisas evoluíram naturalmente. Eu não sei, eu não sei se chama que Deus é a natureza. You can't touch him, yeah. He's he's everywhere. You could replace God with the word love, for example. God is our ultimate daddy or mommy. A ответ на этот вопрос для меня очень прост. Бог это вселенная. God is love. God is light. The God in me, the God in you, the God in but he is God the Almighty. Amen. What a question. Who is God? When you hear that question, who is God? What comes to your mind? Or put another way, what is God like? When you think about that, who do you see God as? Do you see him as this old man dressed in white? Do you see him as a force? As a friend? As a distant ruler? Maybe as a creator who set things in motion but has now stepped back and just kind of watches things play out. No matter 
how you answer that question, it has great impact and significance in your life. How we see God will directly influence how we live. What you believe about God determines more about your life and relationships than any other one thing. A.W. Tozer is quoted as saying, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. See, if we want to truly know who God is like, then we can look to the person of Jesus and his teachings. Jesus set out to give us a correct understanding of who God is and what God is like because of the knowledge that this question and how we answer it has such significance to who we are. And in John chapter 14, Jesus tells us that if we know him, then we will know the Father. And I believe that the parable which we're going to look at today, the parable of the lost son, which is told by Jesus, helps us to better understand who God is. Or again, differently put, what God is like. It's easy when we approach the parable of the lost son to often focus on the lives of the two sons who we're going to be introduced to. And yes, these two sons do allow us to potentially identify ourselves, who we are, and where we might be at. However, I think the bigger point of the parable that we're going to approach here today, the greater significance is not in the two sons, but actually in the character of the father and how we answer that question, what is God the father like? So if you have your Bible this morning, we're going to continue on with our series in parables. And the parable today is in Luke 15, the parable of the lost son. And we're going to start reading together. We're going to take it in pieces. We're going to start in verse 11 here this morning. It says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. We'll pause there. Because one needs to understand already in these first few verses that what the son is doing here when he demands his inheritance is extremely offensive to the father. See, in asking for his inheritance and saying, Father, give me that right now, the son is essentially saying, I wish you were dead. Father, I wish that you were dead so that I could have what is coming to me. Now, one must ask the question, why would the son even approach this? Why would he want to leave the father? Why would he want to leave this home? There seems to be no hint of harshness. It doesn't seem to be bad off for him. In fact, it seems like a very good situation in which he finds himself a very good family. And yet, he wants out. Why? Because essentially the son sees the father as a roadblock to what he wants. He wants the father. He doesn't necessarily want the father himself, but he wants what the father has. He doesn't want connection. He doesn't want relationship. But he desires independence and freedom, and he desires what the father can give to him. And as we see, the son will take that wealth that he receives... And he's going to lose it all. 
And so here already, we do begin to see what the Father is like. Specifically, here we see the love of the Father. The Father, in the parable, loved the Son so deeply that he did not restrain him. The character of God is displayed actually when he allows the child to leave. Now you might be thinking, that isn't love. He should have rebuked his son. He should have corrected him. He should have told him, no, this isn't right. No, I'm not going to give this to you. He should have told him how inappropriate and how disrespectful he was, and he should have held on to him. But what good would that have done? The son might have stayed in the physical sense. However, he likely would have disconnected emotionally and mentally. See, the radical love of the father allows his children to chart their own life journey. Not running after them, begging and pleading for them to stay, but allowing them to live in freedom. Even with the knowledge that it is likely to cause pain for both the child and the father. Henry Nouwen, in the return of the prodigal writes, it was love itself that prevented him from keeping his son at all costs. See, the love of the heavenly father here is seen in his releasing, not in his possessing. Our heavenly father does not try to coax us to love him. He doesn't try to buy our affection or discipline us into staying with him. Rather, he loves us through the giving of free will. And this is because our heavenly father is not a God of transaction or convenience, but he is a God that desires relationship with his children in the context of freedom. And so with his father not holding him back and not wanting to be under the rule of his father, the younger son now sets off for a far off country. And pick it up in verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything there, a severe famine in the whole, hit the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. This is why the younger son and the parable has often been referred to as the prodigal son. See, the word prodigal means to be wastefully extravagant. And in this part of the parable, the younger son is recklessly and wastefully extravagant in the spending of his inheritance. And this far-off country that we read about represents a life that is separated from the life that God has for us. See, it's not so much about the distance as it is about the decision of our will and the direction that we choose for our life. It represents this willful turning of our back to God and the decision to run our own lives, which often results in sin. And this is so often alluring to us 
because we think of getting to lead our own lives, getting to do what interests us, what excites us, getting to be in control, satisfying our own desires. This is appealing. But what happens so often, however, is in the end we pursue this so-called freedom, we actually become incarcerated. Because the further that we, fa- we wander away from God, the more we become a slave to our sinful desires and sinful behaviors. And in doing so, the more freedom we actually end up giving away. Just pause for a moment. And let me ask you, in what ways can you relate to the younger son? What is your far-off country? Where are you looking for love, for meaning, and for value apart from God the Father? Henry Nouwen wrote, I am the prodigal son every time I search for unconditional love where it cannot be found any place apart from the Father. And it's often in these times, it's often in these places that lead to hurt, that lead to suffering and heartache. But here's the good news. God works in the hard places. Likely for many of us, some of the greatest moments that we have experienced when it comes to spiritual awakening in our life came out of the hurt, the low points, and the challenges that we have faced in life. And we see this to be true for the younger son. Let's keep reading in verse 17. It says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Tells us, so he got up and went to his father. It's clear that the younger son finds himself in his lowest of low moments in life. With all his wealth gone, with no food to eat, with no friends, no family, literally living in poverty, eating slop with the pigs, we read those words that he comes to his senses. He realizes that the decision he made was not wise and that it would be better for him to return to his father, even if it was just to be a servant. Now the perspective and the thoughts that he has of his father and what a return home would look like are misplaced. His thoughts seem to be defined by shame, feelings of unworthiness, unworthy to be part of his father's family, that he's unlovable. So let's just pause again and let me ask you the question and reflect. Again, what is God like? When you ask that question, when you did before, do you ever get feelings of as though God is disappointed in you? Maybe you feel as though God is ashamed of you. Often we feel unworthy. 
We feel unlovable as the younger son does in this moment. Our thoughts tell us there's no way that God would accept us or love us because of my actions, because of my behavior. There's absolutely no way. When it comes to our relationship with God, this is often how we view God the Father. If those are the feelings that you have of God the Father and how he views you, I want you to listen to how he responds when the younger son returns home. Keep reading. Partway through verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against you, or against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He is lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Did you hear how the father responded? Picture in your mind those verses that we just read. You have a son who is dejected and defeated, who is making a long trek home, walking up a long driveway to his father's house, a long road, likely rehearsing this speech that he's rehearsed in his head about this apology of of sinning against heaven and sinning against his father, hoping that maybe, just maybe, he can come back and be a slave. But while he's a far ways off, his father sees him. We can assume that likely means that the father was probably diligently watching for his son. All this time. And when he sees him a far ways off, what does he do? He gets up and he runs to his son. He picks up that robe. Probably would have been long and up above his knees so that he can run down that road. This would have been very undignified for a father to do in this time. To raise his robe in such a way to display affection and to run. But he is so overcome with love for his son that he runs to greet him. And before his son can even begin that apology, his arms are wrapped around him, hugging him and kissing him because he is so filled with compassion. What is God the Father like? God the Father is gracious and steadfast. This means that his love is unmerited, that it's undeserved, that it's unprovoked. His love isn't withheld from us and it doesn't change because of our sins. 
It does not waver, it does not wane, it doesn't change because of our actions, but God chooses to, del- to love you despite the many times that we have turned our back on him. Despite the many times that we have traveled to the far off country, he is constantly pursuing as we sang, pursuing you and drawing near to us even when we are far off. Nothing is hidden from his sight and yet he loves you. The most relevant fact here is not that the son came to his senses. That's important. But it is that the father's love for his son never changed. So often we think that God is standing on the porch waiting for us. But he's waiting there with arms crossed, ready to scold. Ready to reprimand. Ready with a plan to gradually restore us expecting us to work our way back into his good graces, that we need to pay him back for everything that we have squandered. But God's only agenda is to celebrate your return. The Father doesn't hold back love from us or wait to shower on on us until we have earned it. But God is a Father who runs out and embraces us in our messiness and all of our imperfection. God's love is is gracious and steadfast to all of his children. See, the younger son was correct in some way when he said that he is unworthy. But he was wrong to think that that would keep the father from loving him. The truth is, none of us are worthy on our own. And that's what makes the gospel so amazing and why John writes in 1 John 3.1, See what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children, and we are. Worthy? No. Wanted? Yes. While you were unworthy of his love, you are not unwanted by him. Let that sink in. You are only You aren't only welcomed by God, but you are wanted by him. When the younger son returns home, he's given these multiple pieces of clothing. And to our eyes, they might just seem like nice gifts. But in Jesus' culture, they symbolized specific rights and privileges. See, the son was not returning to be a servant or a slave as he had hoped or as he had thought. But in giving the son a robe, a ring, and sandals, the father was communicating a deep truth to him here, that he was a son, that he was part of the family. And in this sense, we see the joyful love of the heavenly father. Joy that says, you are my child, and you are adopted into my family. We sometimes think of God in mainly somber or transcendent terms, that he's this rigid king or very overly serious grandfather. And it's as if we forget that God by nature is a God of joy, of delight, of goodness, of generosity, of kindness, and of warmth. Knowing this, I want to revise an earlier statement that I put up. We said our greatest moments of spiritual awakening often come out of hurt, low points, and challenges of life. I believe that to be true, but it's because it is in these moments that we become increasingly aware 
of the love of the Father for what it truly is. Those moments change us because it's when we really, truly, and fully grasp, understand, and know what the love of the Father truly is. Now the story doesn't end there. There's one other son who has a part here in revealing who God the Father is, helping us answer that question of what the Father is like. So we'll pick up in verse 25. It says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has, filled, uh, has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. Can you sense the anger and the resentment of the older brother? Likely the Pharisees, who were the audience that Jesus was speaking to, heard this as well. And likely, in their minds, they were affirming the position of the older brother. Because for the Pharisees, they too would have thought that the younger brother deserved differently. For the Pharisees, the older brother was representative of them and likely is representative of many of us. And this is because the older son portrays the life of a person who has been working to please God. Maybe keeping score, trying to earn God's approval through moral superiority. See, many Christians struggle with this lie that says their hard work earns them favor with God. But this religious pride damages our relationship with God and with others. And when we focus on the goodness of our own works, we forget the greatness of God's. When we think that we have earned God's love, we become jealous and upset with others who in our eyes have not yet earned that same favor. See, for the older brother, we see this play out as his perspective is, all this time, I've been working hard and diligently for you, Father. While my younger brother demanded his inheritance, he left us, he left his family and his responsibilities and prodigally spent all that he had. He had done the right thing. He was diligent. The younger brother was not. And now the younger brother's being welcomed back with gifts, with a party, with a fattened calf that would likely be part of the inheritance of the older brother. I can imagine the older brother saying, what gives? You're throwing a party for him? I've served you my whole life. Where's my party? I'm glad he's home and all, but what about me? The one who stayed here and has been working hard. When we become like this, we become angry. And often angry with God. God, don't you know how good I've been? God, don't you know how much I've given? How hard I've worked? God, don't you know how faithful I've been? How much I've prayed? God, don't you? I deserve better. 
see the younger son wasn't the only prodigal son here. The older son could be labeled a prodigal son too. For he thinks that he is better than his younger brother because he stuck around with dad. But he's not necessarily better. For he's judging and condemning his brother whom the father had accepted and forgiven. And the older son is lost too. He had turned away from his father in trying to earn his approval through hard work. Trying to earn approval had made him prideful and in doing so had driven a wedge between him and his father. Many religious Christians are content to simply work for God. We'd rather build up our resumes than build a relationship with him. And as a result, our pride keeps us from a loving relationship with our father in heaven. In our pride, the father meets us though, just as he met the younger son in his place of feeling unworthy and broken. Keep reading the end of verse 28. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a younger goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we we had to celebrate and be glad Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. When the older son refuses to go in, his father goes out and begs him to come into the party. Said he pleaded with him. And this context is so important because, again, to know the culture of the day, a Jewish Jewish patriarch would never have disgraced themselves by going out during the party, let alone to beg a son to come in and join. More likely, the servant would have come to the father and let him know that the older son was refusing to come in, and the father would have either forcefully dragged him in or just let him stay out in the field. But he would not have come out to plead for him to come into the party. Yet this is once again the character of the father displayed. God the father is one who pursues us and whose love is unconditional. A father who comes out and pursues those of us who are trapped in religiosity. John Mark Comer says, because I am the older brother, Rule-following, responsible, faithful, arrogant, full of resentment, judgmental, pharisaical, self-righteous, tortured by my own neurotic, rule-breaking perfectionism, that's my lostness. And so I need to come to to the party just like the younger brother. If you have ever found yourself trying to be good enough to be an unbearable burden, it's because it is. 
You need to know that there is a heavenly father who loves you and it has nothing to do with how good you've been or what you've done. You have a heavenly father who says, stop trying to earn my approval. You can't earn it. Just accept my unconditional love. Come to the party. What I want is not your good works. I want you. I want a relationship with you. I want to be with you. Understand, you are not a hired hand in God's house. You are a child of God. We need to let go of our pride and find freedom and grace in a relationship with the Father. See, God values your presence over performance. We need to trust in Jesus' completed work instead of relying on our own good works. Did you notice the parable just kind of abruptly ends without a resolution? Jesus doesn't actually tell us what the older son decides to do. It's left hanging there. Why did he do that? I imagine Jesus finishing the parable in this way. He leaves the story hanging without resolution and he likely turns a gaze over to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the older brothers. He doesn't say a word, but the look likely says everything. Are you going to join the party or not? I invite our worship team. See, God is waiting for us. He's waiting for you to join the party. He's waiting for us to repent and turn to him. And to repent means to turn away from our sins and to come to the Father. No matter where you are in life, God is waiting for you. Likely each of us is represented by one of the sons in this story. But note, repentance was needed from each. Each son was estranged from the Father. One through self-centered rebellion and the other through self-centered arrogance. But in both instances, they had rejected the Father's love. They were more interested in what they could get from him than in the Father himself. God doesn't love you because he wants something from you or because of anything that you've done for him. God loves you because he is love. God's love is based on his character and all you need to do is discover it. See, God's so committed to us that he sent Jesus to die for our sins. He proudly identified you with you. He claimed you and he said, that is my son. That is my daughter. Perhaps you've been ignoring, rejecting God's love. Trying to fill that space inside of you with something other than God's love. Maybe you ventured off into the far country. And that's where you're living. Maybe you're at the Father's house, but you're so wrapped up in trying to do good and earn his love that you're not even enjoying the Father. 
Father is waiting for you. Repentance is found in the embrace of the Father. Would you turn to him no matter where you are and feel his embrace and his acceptance? Would you come to know what God the Father is like in his radical, gracious, steadfast, pursuing and unconditional love? I'm gonna pray and then we'll, we'll worship together. Father, thank you that you pursue after us that your love for us is gracious, that it is steadfast, that it is joyful, that it is unconditional. Oh God. There are some of us that are far off from you. I pray that we would come to our senses. those that are far off. God, that they would turn to you. That they would see you running down that road to pursue them, to embrace them. That they would accept that love. Father, for others who are prideful, Our hearts are hard. Would you soften it? Would we choose to come into the party and celebrate with you? Would we too know your embrace, your love? This moment, would we truly know what God the Father is like? Oh, we love you. And would we love others the way in which you have loved us? pray this in your name. Amen.